Good morning, Bucknoters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Wednesday, June 27th, 2018. I am Dave Biddle. Very happy to be joined by the people's champ, Matt Baxendale. As many of you know, maybe some of you don't know, that uh, we have a new feature on Bucknuts called Bucknuts Brackets. The maiden voyage is we're going to find out who the best player of the Urban Meyer era at Ohio State has been uh, thus far. And to be eligible, you just have to play one season under Urban Meyer. Our staff uh, ranked, you know, all of us did a, a 1 through 30 ranking, and we added up the results, came up with the top 32, 1 through 32. And now it's up to you guys out there to vote on it. Um, and the number one seed was Joey Bosa. He faced off against Jamarco Jones yesterday. Joey Bosa won that in a landslide. Uh, today it's going to be Ezekiel Elliott, the number two seed, against 31 seed Tyquan Lewis. I mean, backs. Is there any doubt in your mind when it comes down to it, it's going to be Joey Bosa against Ezekiel Elliott in the final? I would be surprised if it was anybody else. I mean, we can talk about how great some of these players are that we've obviously had at Ohio State under Urban Meyer, but those are the top two guys. You know, they went back-to-back at the NFL draft with the two highest picks during the Meyer era in the NFL draft, and frankly, they're two of the most productive kids at Ohio State during the Meyer era. Um, you know, a lot of us have fond memories about the guys like Braxton Miller, who obviously had a great career. Michael Thomas is obviously a big-time player at OSU. You know, you got, you got guys like Darren Lee who are just fantastic. And we could talk about the various cornerbacks that have come through here, too. I mean, we could have this conversation for a very long time talking about all the great players the last six years. But as of right now, yeah, I think truth is very simple here is that those are the top two guys. Those are the two guys that are stars in the NFL. They're the two guys that were the driving force behind a national championship. And until somebody else succeeds them, those are the guys to talk about, plain and simple. So everybody out there, get on Bucknuts Vote every day, 10 a.m., every weekday, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. We're going to have a new matchup. Eventually we'll whittle it down to the uh, Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight and the Final Four and the Final Two. And I'm with you, man. I think it's going to be Joey Bosa against Zeke in the final. We'll see who wins that. The running back is going to be the two seed against the one seed defensive end if that happens. And You know, that running back position is the sexier position, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. There's so many interesting ones. There's one coming up that I can't wait to see that you would think is a no-brainer, but just because of the bipolar nature of it, there is J.T. Barrett against Andrew Norwell. And you would think, oh, Barrett by a landslide, right? But <laughs> No, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, judging by the seed, you would think it would be. I think it's like Barrett, the 8th seed, against Norwell, the 25th seed, somewhere around right there. But uh, that's going to be coming up next week. So there's going to be a lot of interesting first-round matchups. So. If you're out there and you don't usually get on Bucknuts, you just listen to us on YouTube or wherever else, iTunes, you get on Bucknuts and vote. Um, again, every day, 10 a.m., we're going to be posting a new story. So get involved. It's going to be a lot of fun to, to go through this. And it's, it's cool just to reminisce, too, some of the best players of the Meyer era thus far. All right, switching gears to recruiting backs. Um, Jack Miller, it looks like, you know, all systems go, man. And he's going to be the guy in the 2020 uh chair for Ohio State at quarterback could happen as soon as this weekend. Um, no surprise, but just your thoughts if that does materialize if Jack Miller commits to the Buckeyes this weekend. Uh, it'll be nice to get a quarterback early in the process that's an elite-level kid without having to worry about flipping kids or chasing after kids, yada, yada, yada. Um, if you think about it, you know, we, I may have just thrown some shade towards JT Barrett and a lot of it in the last year, but JT was the last elite quarterback recruit that Ohio State got early, kept, and kept going, right? Uh, if you look at the guys that they brought in in the past, I mean, you know, after JT Barrett, what did they do? 
you know, they went and they got Joe Burrow a little later on. You know, that, you can argue Joe was a great recruit, but not like an elite recruit at quarterback. Then they went and got Stephen Collier, who was the fifth or sixth option after they and everyone else waited for Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, they they had Danny Clark committed for forever until Ohio State decided he wasn't a fit, and then went and flipped Tate Martell. Uh, you look at what happened with Dwayne Haskins. He was a late flip into the class after being a Maryland commitment forever. Uh, then last year they had Emory Jones, and now he didn't end up at Ohio State, so they went and got Matthew Baldwin late. This year in 2019, it was kind of a mess. We weren't really sure what was going to happen. Are they going to take whoever, right? And now they got Dwan Mathis. Um, you know, there's talk about still taking Brian Marr. But these, neither one of those guys are considered to be elite quarterback recruits. Then there's Jack Miller, which brings us full circle back to JT. Now, and for the record, when I talk about Dwayne Haskins, he, of course, was an elite recruit, but he wasn't part of the class early on. Ohio State decided they wasn't what they were looking for until late. So it's nice to see Ohio State zero in on a top-flight guy really early to build around for the first time in, like, legitimately in five years. They get a top-tier elite quarterback in the fold to start to build their class around. And if you go back far enough like I do, I call it the Justin Slick effect. The Ohio State class of 2002, which still may be the greatest recruiting class Ohio State's had in the last 25 years, was because Justin Zwick, a.k.a. the five-star number one quarterback in the country, was one of the first commitments. And then that class eventually ended up producing something like five first-round picks, none of whom were Justin Zwick. So, you know, if you get a guy like Jack Miller in the door, not only do you have an elite kid to follow up two years of, I don't want to say second options, but they were second-choice options, and you can build that class around him. And it's a head start to a 2020 class. It looks like it could be killer for the Buckeyes. Yeah, Jack Miller is number three pro-style quarterback in the country in the 2020 class. And again, it's going to be shocking if he does not pick the Buckeyes at this point. So um, look for that again as soon as, as perhaps this weekend. And, and you mentioned DeJuan Mathis, uh, the recent commit uh, for the Buckeyes in the 2019 class, the quarterback position. We all wondered who's it going to be. You know, we knew they were going to take one. But uh, I think this is, you know, best-case scenario for Ohio State considering the scenario they were in. Um, you know, you get a kid that, you know, recently was considered a three-star. He's already been bumped up to a four-star. He, you know, decommitted from Michigan State uh, to flip to Ohio State, so that's pretty interesting in its own right. Number nine pro-style quarterback in the country. For those that think they're taking a flyer on a kid that's not very highly ranked, I mean, there are teams across the country that would kill to get the number nine pro-style quarterback in the country. Uh, six foot four, 197 pounds already, kid out of Belleville, Michigan. Just your thoughts on the Buckeyes getting Dewan Mathis? Well, you know, when you talk about flipping kids, it's always nice to take a kid from a school that you're competing with directly. And I will say this. It's not like Michigan State doesn't produce good players. I mean, you know, Kirk Cousins says hello from the NFL. Um, they, they've, they've had some players come through there. And, you know, if you, oh, this is the player Ohio State decides that they want to take in this class. you got to trust the coaching staff. And I think we were all suspicious whenever he ended up on campus for Friday Night Lights. And we've seen how this works for Michigan State commitments visiting elsewhere. D'Antonio doesn't put up with that, right? So this is him essentially saying, yeah, I'm, I'm flipping from the moment he set foot on campus. And, hey, you know what? I don't think it's ever fair to say, oh, this kid isn't an elite five-star recruit, so he's not going to pan out. I mean, the kid, like you said, most of the schools have killed out a kid like this. You know, when you, these are Buckeye problems. These are problems that, like, five or six schools in the country have where you're like, oh, we only got that kid, right? Like, so I, I certainly think he's going to be an interesting player to have. Um it's, it, it, I think it's going to be a very good thing for Ohio State in terms of depth, though. Because what happens if Dwayne Haskins has a gigantic year this year and goes pro? Then your quarterback room is Tate Martell, Matthew Baldwin, and now Dewan Mathis. And that's a very inexperienced and young room. So 
you know, getting some depth at this position is uh, is going to be pretty critical for LSU, and hopefully they can have that covered restock pretty soon here with Miller coming on board for the year following. Yeah, of course, with DeJuan Mathis, we're talking about a kid from Michigan who the Buckeyes landed. Um, you know, looking at kids from Ohio that Michigan, not Michigan State, but Michigan, the Fighting Harbaugh's, are looking at, you know, I, I really was surprised back the first, you know, three years of the recruiting cycle under Harbaugh that they almost, I don't want to say ignored Ohio, but pretty came pretty damn close. They ignored Ohio. At Ohio's. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, I mean, that was the lifeblood of Michigan's program for the longest time was, you know, coming into Ohio and, and getting, you know, half their roster from Ohio. Um, now, he's finally recruiting the state of Ohio harder, but – uh, is he going after some, you know, kids that are more MAC level? Just how, how would you describe Harbaugh's recruiting efforts in Ohio? I wouldn't describe it as MAC level, but I think it's very telling if you look at the kids that Harbaugh has gone after here in Ohio, um, where they're ranked. And let's preface this, Dave. Since Jim Harbaugh came to Michigan before this recruiting class, he had signed a total of six kits from the state of Ohio, three of which were his very first year where he had like a month to throw together his class and was just taking kids to fill it up, right? So Jim Harbaugh in his entire Michigan tenure has only taken six kids from Ohio, half of whom were afterthought space fillers. This year alone, Michigan has five kids committed from the state of Ohio. Now, only one of them in Nolan Rumler is a top-tier caliber kid. He's the only one who's in the top 247. You look at the rest of the kids that they have in this recruiting class from Ohio, they have um, three other players, none of which are in the top 500 nationally. Uh, only one of uh, another, which is in the top 20. So uh, this isn't like they're going into Ohio and they're stealing the best kids in the state of Ohio from Ohio State. But I think it's very interesting if you look at some of the places that they're recruiting kids from. Archbishop Hoban, Archbishop Muller, Francis DeSales, Northmont, places that you see kids come from consistently here in Ohio. I think Harbaugh has recognized that he can't go around the country and get the results that he thought he could do just by saying, hey, look, I'm Jim Harbaugh. I coached at Stanford, Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck. And I think he's coming back around to Ohio and going, you know what? I need to start getting bodies from Ohio. I need to start rebuilding these pipelines. When your roster has less than 10 kids from the state of Ohio on it at Michigan, you've got some real issues, especially when you look at what Michigan State has done in the state of Ohio the last couple of years, and they've been a better football team than Michigan. So there's a little bit to say there. Um, but I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because Jim Harbaugh's recruiting in Ohio, it's not Ohio State level. It's more like Kentucky level right now. With the exception of Nolan Rumler, their class right now is the type of kids that last year Minnesota took and Cincinnati took and, and Kentucky took and Purdue took. And I'm not saying these kids aren't going to be good players, but the 40th-ranked player in the state of Ohio last year went to Pitt. The 41st-ranked player in the state of Ohio went to Cincinnati last year. So they have the 40th-ranked player in the state of Ohio right now. Last year, the 26th-ranked player in the state of Ohio uh, was Blaine Scott. He went to West Virginia. The guy above him went to Kentucky. So that's the range that they're recruiting in right now, is that if your average ranking in the state of Ohio is the mid to late 20s, uh, then I think you're going to be sitting here going, okay, cool. Is Harbaugh trying to say, look how great of a coach he is? He's recruiting mid-level Big Ten talent from Ohio? Or is this him taking the long view and going, look, I need to take six or seven or eight Ohio kids every year so I can start getting in there and hopefully in 2021 start actually having a shot at these top-tier kids. Like even right now, whenever Zach Harrison mentions Michigan on his list, none of us are afraid of Michigan being the school to take him. You know, it's Penn State. So Michigan's got a lot of bridge building to do back here at home in Ohio. And for them, really, they should be looking at Ohio like it's home for them, especially kids from the northwestern part of the state. And I don't think they've done that up to this point. 
So I think Harbaugh's strategy, and I, this is honestly a piece I, I was looking at in the bucket. There's going to be a lot more numbers when my bucket comes out and again in a week and a half. But I think Harbaugh's looking at this analytically and saying, Michigan State's getting a lot of players from Ohio. If we get those players away from Michigan State, then not only does it help us with our battle of trying to beat Sparty and reducing their talent advantage, but eventually maybe we can start taking kids from Ohio State. It's a smart move long-term. Frankly, it's way overdue. I don't know what the hell he was doing the first four years he's been up there in terms of recruiting. So maybe he'll get smart and figure it out, but I think there's a long-term plan in effect up there, and it seems like they're finally starting. You know, the Sauron's eye has finally turned back upon us here in Ohio. We'll see if it makes any difference. But I do think Harbaugh's finally, finally realizing that maybe, maybe there's a reason Michigan's best teams throughout history have been loaded with Ohio kids. And he's starting to recognize it in his own program. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, I think initially he thought he could just recruit nationally and he knew Urban Meyer kind of had a stranglehold on, on most of the kids that Harbaugh might have wanted from the state of Ohio. So he just went national and now he's circled back and realized, um, yeah, I should have been making these inroads from day one, maybe getting some of these you know, two- and three-star kids from, you know, powerhouse programs, and that can lead to four- and five-star kids down the road. But, uh, hey, I mean, if you're a Michigan fan, I guess better late than never. But, man, I, it's it's amazing that he went basically three recruiting cycles, ignoring the state of Ohio for Michigan standards. Hey, real quick before I let you go, um, Ohio State tickets go on sale to the general public this Friday. Um, looking at mm. the season ticket situation, I know this is very close to your heart, Mr. Baxendale, um, there's really only one great, ticket on the home slate that happens to be that team up north just uh maybe i'm wrong though just your thoughts on the uh the tickets going on sale this friday and just maybe uh the quality of the games this year on the home slate well first things first this the tickets go on sale on friday at 10 a.m on Ticketmaster for every single game so if you're looking to get tickets for single games that's the spot to try first because after that they're going to sell out most of those games right away uh now that said, you're going to have a game like Tulane. There's going to be some seats in C-Deck. You have a game like Minnesota. They probably won't sell out completely. But what's interesting is the way the, the cost on these tickets is. Obviously, we know Michigan's a big deal, right? Michigan is the biggest game on the schedule every year, no matter what. But compared to last year, overall, the tickets are less expensive. Um, I don't think this is getting a lot of talk. Michigan's the same price as Oklahoma was last year. Michigan's the same price as Michigan State was last year. And then last year's third most expensive game was Penn State, which was 20-something bucks more a ticket than they're charging for the Nebraska game this year. So I think that there's, you know, it's going to be interesting to see because the price for a lot of these tickets is hovering around 100 bucks a ticket. And that means, hey, you may snag, if you get in on time for, you know, an Oregon State or a Rutgers kind of game, you may get lucky and get a pair of ADEC tickets for face value. That's usually what sort of happens on these things is there's a little bit there that trickles out. Um but the tickets in general this year, I think on average, are cheaper per game. So, yes, Michigan's the biggest game by a mile. But all these other games aren't going to be as expensive as, you know, Penn State was last year or Michigan State was last year. And, you know, yeah, some of that's the lack of marquee. But I, OSU got a little more reasonable in their pricing this year because I think they recognized it last year that they probably shot too far over the top on some of these games. Because I can tell you right now, the day of the Michigan State game last year, Ohio State had a boatload of tickets available to the general public, and nobody was paying $200 a ticket to get into that game. That's for darn sure. So, you know, be ready at 10 a.m., folks, if you want to try to snag your Michigan tickets. And if you don't, well, they're going to be available out there. They're just going to be a little bit more expensive than what you see in the market. Great stuff as usual from the People's Champ, Matt Baxendale, on this edition of the Bucknuts Morning 16. I appreciate it, Bax. You can catch 
the bucket, not this Sunday, but next, as he mentioned. He does it every other Sunday during the off season. Uh, it'll be back to every Sunday during the football season itself. So thank you very much to Bax, and thanks to all listeners out there for tuning in to the show. I appreciate it. Hope you have a great day. Let's try that Buckeye swag, best damn band in the land. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry.